and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. This is now episode 22. Um, we're going to be talking about a really important concept in replatforming projects today, which is MVP or minimum, minimum viable product, minimum viable proposition, depending on how you define the acronym and how it's relevant to replatforming. Uh, it's, uh, it's myself, James Gerd, and I'm joined as always by my co- um, co-host, uh, Paul Rogers. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How are you doing? Not bad at all. So I think we're week three, aren't we, on isolation, lockdown. How's, yeah. um, how's Revaunt coping with the, uh, the remote working thing as a team? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's, um, it's better than I thought, actually. Like, I thought some people would really struggle um, with kind of being completely isolated. But yeah, so far it's been going okay, actually. How have you been getting on with your projects? Well, I've self-isolated for 11 years, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good, to be fair. I'm, not, I'm enjoying not having to get on tubes and trains and, uh, and being able to do more exercise. So yeah, That is true. Um, you ready to discuss the, the super sexy topic of MVP? Absolutely. Amazing. Let's crack on. So I get a bit of framing for everybody. Some people um, will probably be um, uh, have heard of MVP and know it or have even done projects where MVP as a concept has been taken through the project. Others, it might be new to them. So MVP basically means that in a world where you're constrained by time or resource, and that resource could be money, it could be stakeholders, sometimes it's really really difficult to hit your go live deadlines whilst getting everything that you possibly want into the project delivered on time to the right level of quality and given that um those limitations it means that a sensible approach to you know doing a website migration or building a new website is to prioritize your requirements and and really nail down what has to be there from day one to enable you to launch a website that's professional that's on brand that's great for customers that is compliant you know enables you to trade effectively but doesn't mean you have to have every single last bit of functional requirements ready uh, and waiting and you can then start to release those later on it's a really important concept because people often struggle with uh, balancing time and cost and resource pressures with a massive catalogue of requirements and not knowing what they do about it. Um, So MVP is a process for helping people to rationalise what they need to do to go live and working out what's more important, the functionality side or hitting a particular deadline. I give a good example, a client I've worked with before had a couple of big stores that were launching they were doing a rebranding and the website wanted to be live along the same time because they're doing a huge amount of advertising around the new brand. And if the website wasn't live in time, they'd have a website on old branding with stores with new branding and you get a mismatch from an omnichannel commerce point of view. So there was a real line in the sand of a deadline date when that new website had to be live, which meant that we had to think through from a scope point of view, what could realistically be delivered within that time frame, rather than, hey, we've got 3000 requirements, we've got to build them all. So that's my kind of overall definition of MVP and why it's uh, relevant to a platform. Paul, does that align with with uh, your experience? Anything else that you want to uh, explain to the listeners in terms of giving them context for, for how MVP as a concept is relevant? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I agree with everything you said. So I think it's a case of uh, stripping back to anything so basically getting to a point where you can transact online as you say you're kind of compliant at different levels um 
and then also like it's, it's not going to there's nothing missing that's going to impact kind of overall business performance um and even then there might be some variables where actually you expect like a dip somewhere but as long as it's kind of um like like the term suggests like a minimum viable product that is viable and kind of allows for people to transact and yeah kind of um match also what you have at the moment um yeah excellent and from your experience this terminology because i've seen different terminologies but primarily um, mvp as an acronym do you think the terminology helps can it sometimes confuse people who are new to technical projects um does it even set false expectations sometimes in terms of what people are paying for um, yeah, I definitely, I think that last point um, can happen. So in terms of MVP, like people have different um, expectations um, and understanding of like what is a minimal viable product or minimum viable product. Um, but equally, I do think it works in the sense that it, it is exactly what it says it is. And it's, um, it is the minimum viable version of the site essentially. And I think um, in my experience, it does work and you can always kind of refer back to MVP. It's a good um, kind of reference point for people that are just trying to kind of um, add additional kind of items into the scope or maybe push to get certain things into the scope. Um, yeah. I think it's a really good um, yeah, term to use overall and you can always kind of argue back to MVP. I, I think that last point definitely, and I've seen this before, is it's a good it's a good way of controlling scope creep. If you have a clearly defined definition of what that minimal proposition is, and that has been agreed and signed off by the project team and the project sponsor, it becomes a lot easier than when people say, "Ah, oh, but I wanted this," to say, "Well, actually, no, that's not in our defined, um, you know, day one launch thing." So you can put that into backlog. The, the one time, though, that and I, I experienced this recently working with a luxury retailer is the proper the concept is bang on. But sometimes the language can make people um, think uh, in the wrong way. And I had this where I was talking about MVP and the internal business had a different set of um, terminology they were using to talk about their new web um, design standards and user experience, uh, which they were calling like Web 2.0. And by using MVP, it made people think that they weren't going to get what their new definition of, of the online user experience was and that it would be compromised and it would not deliver against their brand designs and, and guidelines, etc. So I, I even even quite recently, I've realized that sometimes the, whilst the concept might be absolutely spot on, the language can in certain environments can make people think about something different and therefore they believe that they're getting something that's not fit for purpose. So I've, I've had to realign how I explain things sometimes. I do feel like they're the, um, the areas that are hardest or they're the stakeholders to get the hardest to get bought into the concept of an MVP. So kind of anyone with a design interest or brand teams, I've definitely experienced that in the past. Yeah, exactly. Cause when you take a, a you know, really, really senior designer, brand strategy, whatever it might be. If you're talking about MVP, it goes against what they're trying to achieve. But actually MVP primarily is a functional and technical thing. So yeah, sometimes language can have an emotive impact on people. So I think that's really important for anyone listening is think about the language that resonates internally and um, don't always use MVP if you think people are gonna uh, uh, consider that you're delivering them a pile of crap instead of something that's very good, but just has deprioritize certain functional elements because they don't have to be there critically from day one. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're on to the crunch question now. And this is always a fun one when you're working across multiple stakeholder sets who, who you know, each stakeholder think of their part of the business is, is absolutely critical. Rightly so, but it doesn't mean every requirement they have is critical. How do you define the scope of your MVP? How do you apply sensible prioritization criteria for yeah, I guess um, a really good question. Um, I think it depends on how much of an MVP it is and how much time and budget or dependent on why you're going back to an MVP, um, depending on how much you have to work with. But essentially, I would define an MVP as cutting out anything that doesn't prevent someone from ordering um, and doesn't cause any issues from a legal or compliance standpoint. Um, I think there'll, there'll be loads of variables in projects um, and it depends kind of if you're going into a peak, for example, there are things that would need to be in an MVP that might not if you aren't going into a peak. Um, and I think there's different levels of compromise dependent on types of businesses in different areas. Um, but overall, that's how I see it. I think it's a case of um, still allowing for orders and maybe not losing any kind of critical functionality that you have currently. Yeah, I think it's a lot to refer to. I think my dog agrees because he's barking like a crazy man <laughs> in the background. So you must you must have said the buzzword. Um, yeah, I, I think the and the other thing that the way that I look at it sometimes as well. So yeah, the, all that compliance stuff, hundred percent agree. Is basically you have to be able to trade and trade in a legal and compliant way and be able to deliver um, a, a level of customer service, which is uh, expecting, which is people have got to be able to buy online, they've got to be able to do returns. Re so there's simple things you can nail down and say, we have to have that to trade. The other way that I like to look at in projects is when people are going through this process of, okay, we have functional requirements and lots of it can be native capability versus third party plugins is, is focusing on what you can achieve natively through the platform that you've invested in, whether it's an existing platform that you're reskinning or a new platform you're migrating to and take their default functional capability rather than trying to extend, customize, reflow it. A good example is like wish lists. Everyone wants a wish list. Well, everyone, but most people want a wish list, especially if you're in things like um, you know, fashion, retail, etc. And that's great. You can have a wish list, but you could live with a functional wish list, which is a bog standard out of the box capability without trying to add bells and whistles and additional capabilities like merchandising in the wish list. So often for MVP, it's about, okay, you have something, we'll take that. We will then enhance it if we need to going forwards, but let's not try and overcomplicate it by making it a, a proper UX design thing where we have to wireframe it, do user story stuff, etc. So I think sometimes it's about, questioning what you can get out the box rather than trying to extend and customize yeah absolutely um one thing i missed actually which i guess um i would include uh within an mvp is uh some aspects of integrations and it doesn't necessarily need to be integrations but basically stock so accurate um stock i think is another really important one yes yeah very important and, and again this aligns with your original point as well not not cutting things out that would stop you from trading effectively so there are some I mean, it's quite an easy thing to do if you just turn around and say the thing is solution architect i work with on the house of fraser um like omnichannel migration a good few years back said to me i, I don't like moscow because everything's must have um i want objective criteria and objective criteria for me for our our mvp is number one is legal and compliance can we go to prison if we don't do this? That was his fact. I was like, that's quite a nice way of framing it, actually. So you you, you must adhere to, to the laws, the compliance. You must do things like GDPR, PCI, 
um, for, for payment and security. And then the next thing was, yeah, what are the, the business critical things that you need to be able to trade? And it was things like, you've got to have stock, you've got to have product, you've got to have payment capability. Um, and then what are the other policy things that you have to provide that you could, they, if you're a breach of, yeah, either it's going to cause you bad PR or you could get fines. So things like, you know, having returns policies, re, um, enabling refunds. So I think that's quite a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even on some aspects of compliance, there's like almost like a level of MVP um, in itself. So for example, like I had a client in the States where ADA um, and accessibility is hugely important. Um, and they got to a point where they wanted to launch an MVP and their theme wasn't, um, or basically accessibility had been, or certain levels of accessibility had been missed on. Um, so they ended up using one of kind of the overlay solutions. So um, I think it was Accessibility they used, um, but that was very much just for the MVP. And then when it came to the phase two, they then stripped it out and kind of made sure that the site was like fully compliant. Um, yeah, and I think there are different levels of um, MVP for pretty much everything. Yes, exactly. It's, it's like, what's the DiCaprio film was Inception, where he goes down the layers of, of the, uh, the subconscious and further down in his mind. This, this is what I think is with MVP is, for some people, MVP is absolutely bog standard basic. It's just a functional transactional website. For others, because of their business model, there are certain expectations and capabilities that if they turn them off, causes problems elsewhere, or if they turn them off, it materially um, uh, detracts from the customer experience. It could cause them in terms of conversion rate or customer satisfactions. Therefore, depending on the complexity of the business, your MVP can be small or large. It's all, I guess, I guess the key point that you made is it's relative to your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how, what, what is your advice to people on how they can make the hard decisions about what goes in and what doesn't? So where are some of the areas and projects you've worked on where people have made decisions to say, well, actually, do you know what? We can live without that. Um, it's not going to screw us over. It won't have any big impact on our, our business, even though we'd love to have it in if we ideally could. Yeah, um, so I think you've touched on a lot of them, to be honest, but um, I guess it comes down to the impact on revenue or um, kind of orders and conversion rate and all of the kind of commercial uh, metrics. So you talked about kind of going back to native or launching with native features. So for example, product recommendation, search, um, also anything that's kind of um, front end styling. So things like checkout, even aspects of the um, checkout as well, things like gift messaging, um, anything like that that's kind of more UX um, led, I think can be stripped out. Um, most third parties are examples of things that can be stripped out. A lot of kind of um, design aspects. Um, also anything that's kind of net new generally. So anything that isn't uh, that's kind of brand new functionality that isn't on the current site, I think can be stripped out. Um, so yeah, I think kind of that's it probably, just anything that's new or that's kind of enhancing something that works. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. And, and it, interestingly, um, one of the, talking about the House of Fraser project earlier, the head of UX had a really nice approach to it, um, which ruffled a few feathers, but was sensible uh, around trying to minimize things like third parties third-party plug-in scripts because even though it seems quite simple it's like okay we just add some javascript 
Well, that has a performance impact, which therefore means when you're building the site, you've got to go through a proper QA on it to make sure that the performance is managed. You've got to think about that performance when it's adding um, onto like mobile versus desktop. So that it still adds effort and, and hassle. And if you're on a tight time frame, you know, hours here and there do matter. So his viewpoint on it was, if data exists to validate that it, there's a business case for using it, we pull it in. If nobody can give a strong business case, it goes on to backlog. And I thought that was a really good way of doing it because loads of people were saying, we want this, want that. And there was no articulation of why. And ended up stripping out over 50% of the third-party plugins because some of them had not been used for eight, nine months. Others were not being used by customers. So even though the business thought they were brilliant, the customer wasn't using them and therefore there was no tangible benefit. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that, that work stream went from, uh, from being probably a, you know, a week's worth of work down to a day's worth of work. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. And how, what criteria do you uh, apply? So you're working with your clients and there might be different stakeholders, different viewpoints. What sort of criteria do you, do you kind of help them apply so they can define what is essential versus what's not? Is it based on financial impact, percentage of customers using it? How do you try and um, prioritise? Yeah, I guess there's different like, influences. Um, so when we would go into a project, we would have like a list of um, requirements and against those, we would have a Moscow rating um, to start with. And as you rightfully said earlier, like, I think when you apply a Moscow rating, particularly when it's um, driven by the client, you end up with a whole list of must-haves. Um, However, I kind of always try to avoid that, but like you say, I mean, you will end up in that point. So to start off with, we've got that, which is driven by what either kind of um, what the team <clears throat> want, essentially, <clears throat> which can always be reversed, but you'll always have some level of like, this is needed uh, or this is critical from a commercial from a commercial perspective. Um, also things that are already on the site. So I think that's those two in particular are the real kind of drivers for must-haves and then anything else could be a should-have or could go into a phase two. Um, and I think we would generally revisit that not too regularly, but at least a few times through the project. And if it got to a point where um, we were looking at MVP, I'd definitely go straight back to that list or maybe at this point, there's um, kind of a functional specification from the agency that's come out of the discovery. Um, and then we'd revisit that and basically go through each line item. Um, and like I say, go back to that piece around, will it impact um, overall trade? Will it impact? And another one that I haven't mentioned is SEO as well, which I think is that important in a replatforming project because that can have such a long-term impact on the business um, and then things like compliance as well um, so yeah I think that's how I would do it essentially just go back to kind of all of the um, or go back to the scope and just review each individual line item against that criteria and try to strip out as much as humanly possible and to be fair I have been in that situation a lot like I do feel like a lot of the projects I've worked on where there's been a commercially orientated deadline um, we've ended up de-scoping quite a lot and then putting things into a fast follower or a phase two or a phase three um, yeah I think I think that point about Moscow is an interesting one um, because I, I, I think it can be a perfectly useful as you said a perfectly useful rating mechanism as long as you have a clear criteria the, the danger is is when it's you don't apply the criteria isn't it that you say so you say right yeah. okay tell us what's your must and should and people just turn around and go well 
I'm in the content team. I want all of this CMS capability. And it's like, okay, but how much of that do you actually need to do your day-to-day job and to service customers and how much of it is you? So I think if you have stringent criteria, it works well. I think it, when it's left open-ended and subjective and everyone has a different view about what must and should and could, uh, that's when you get into problems. Where, yeah, I think that makes sense. You, you have, Having a list is the critical thing here is you've got to have something that you can refer back to later on. So that when somebody says, like they're, they're doing it like a maybe they're doing a review of wireframes for a particular part of the journey like a plp and then suddenly somebody says well hang on a minute we should have this 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 and you turn back and go well actually no that's not what's in our mvp definition so we can have that with that now goes into backlog evaluation i think one thing that's interesting as well is um i feel like in discovery um you have a lot more people involved a lot more stakeholders involved and because it's like a brand new project and people are trying to like address frustrations with the existing platform or like achieve their objectives um via the scope of the project i think uh people are always going to push for new functionality whereas i think in this scenario you probably end up with a group of like more senior stakeholders um and you can be a bit more kind of vigilant with what you're taking out of the scope and i think the other thing with the projects that i've been a part of is so i wouldn't usually I'm unlikely to play the part of kind of that project manager that's reducing the scope down. There would probably be someone else that's like their objective is to launch with as little functionality as possible um, on the date, essentially. Um, and often I'm the one that's kind of fighting for certain bits of functionality rather than being that kind of project manager. But I think um, having that person that's always got the reference point of uh, the MVP essentially is really important. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. And uh, interestingly, in the project I'm working on at the moment, I'm I'm the bad cop. I'm the person who's having to say, look, great idea, but we won't get it delivered in time. And yeah. the one thing that I will say for anyone listening who's working internally in an e-commerce team is it, it really helps your development agency to deliver a high-quality project by maintaining this discipline because the PM at the development agency will thank you if you turn around and fight their corner instead of dumping a load of unrealistic expectation on them where they have to tell me to go, we can't do that, we can't do that. Because that then creates friction between stakeholders in your team and the development agency. And the last thing you want to do is create that friction where your team thinks the agency are just continuously saying no. That's where the project management bit's really important. Sometimes it, um, you know, the, the artists setting expectations up front to say to people, look, you're not going to get everything you want for day one, but don't worry. It doesn't mean we've forgotten about it. It will come and we will agree as a project team going through it, which of those elements um, become the, the key priorities for the fast follower and for the phase two. So communication and expectation setting are critical around that part. Yeah, I completely agree. Some good points there. So from your experience, you've talked about a few of the projects and some of the things where you've fought the corner of the team to get stuff in versus where you think actually, you know, we can live without it. What are some of the classic things that you've seen de-scoped and why? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I guess like, again, talked about quite a few of these, but uh, lots of third parties have been de-scoped and that could be anything from kind of personalization engines to search to visual merchandising, to address validation or postcode lookup. Um, lots of that kind of stuff's been de-scoped and I think that's rightfully been de-scoped. Um, few of the projects that I've worked on, so where I'm usually fighting the corner, um, not that I necessarily want to be fighting this corner, but I usually am, um, is SEO. So like, I worked on a project recently where 
it was very much an MVP and the basically there wasn't really a commercial deadline but where the project was going on for quite a long time and there were a lot of people involved um they ended up hit, setting a hard deadline and then there was a PM that was basically enforcing that um and they descoped all of SEO um and so when I say all of SEO I mean the SEO parts of the data migration um which was separate to the main kind of product data migration um line item in the project which in itself is something that should be questioned but um and then redirects um and a lot of the kind of technical seo set up as well um and i was arguing that corner and in the end i managed to get some bits in there and quite like there was a bit of an mvp for redirects and a bit of an mvp for the data migration um but probably about 60 percent got through um, but i think that's usually a really good example of where people in fact that's a good example of how maybe the person that was making the decision on the scope should have had more commercial awareness and maybe more input from other um, stakeholders. And in this scenario, I was kind of solutions on uh, kind of specific areas of the scope. Um, but that ended up, I mean, it, the impact on SEO didn't end up being too bad in the end, um, just because a lot of the major points were ticked off and like maybe 70% of the redirects were in place and that covered kind of most of the core pages and existing pages. It was more like legacy stuff and like some old dynamic pages and things like that that weren't covered. Um, but that that's an example of something that I think is often where, well, basically people try to descope and it should never be descoped. Um, and then I guess other things that I've seen descoped in the past would be like certain levels of integrations where people are able to do stuff manually in the short term. Um, yeah, kind of other, in, in fact, data migration as well. Like if you don't need, uh, for example, like certain levels of customer data in for launch um, and if customer accounts have been migrated and people can log in, et cetera, um, then that's something that could be descoped. Um, same with kind of certain levels of order data. Um, probably not product data, I guess it depends. Like, because if you're doing a product data migration, you may as well do the, um, the whole thing dependent on the product data. Um, yeah, so I'd say they're kind of the main things that I've seen descoped. Yeah, I think the, pro the, the order history and customer data is an interesting one because you have to have customer accounts migrated over even yeah. if the customers have to re re uh, set passwords but yeah i've seen it on a project i worked in for a, a big charity in plans we, we had to be pragmatic about what could be done in time and we ended up um uh, not not importing all the uh, order history because the order structure was in a different um a different data model than the new platform and it needed yeah. like data cleansing migration work and it was going to be a bit of a ball like so all we agree with the customer service there would be a separate database for historical order it's not ideal we you know you know it's not ideal but um you can live with it because the information is there to access and they had it on a persistent open database um uh, next to their like contact center application and then the aim was to migrate that within a few months after launch i think you can so, also communicate that with the customer as well um so i did one yes. very similar and the order data, and it was actually, so there was so much order data and it was left so late in the project um, that they decided to migrate it or start the migration two weeks after launch. And they basically just communicated that they'd moved to a new system and order data was being migrated in the future. Um, and like, it didn't really cause too many problems. Like, all live orders were migrated. It was just the legacy ones. Um, yeah, and I think it was managed quite well in the end and it didn't really have any commercial impact. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's also sometimes you talked about it before about doing things manually versus automated, like scaling down integrations where you can. One of the ones where I've seen some gains for people, and it does require taking budget from another pot, typically marketing pot, is data feeds. Because sometimes data feeds can be really complicated, yeah. depending on the data model in the platform, the customization you need to get out to different channels. And seeing people work with data feed specialists like Intelligent Reach, where they've just said, right, okay, we've got X, X thousand pounds in a project. We're just going to provide a data hose to them and they are going to structure and do all the data feeds for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, the other one, um, well, yeah, basically exactly that. Yeah. Outsourcing things like that, I think can really help as well. And there are other examples of, um, of that as well, um, where you can basically just pass things off to third parties. Um, yeah. So now uh, onto the elephant in the room, which is uh, as business stakeholders and projects, keeping them uh, engaged and motivated so they don't lose focus when some of their requirements might not make it into launch and that can be demotivating. So what, what are your tips and advice on how do you, how do you uh, manage people's expectations realistically? So um, I think that's a really good question. And your points there, I think, are, um, are really important, particularly keeping people motivated. Um, when certain pieces of functionality that are really important to them personally have been stripped out. Um, I think, I mean, it probably wouldn't be the role that I would play necessarily in a project. Um, but I think that's actually, so if you're the project manager and you're responsible for delivering uh, the project by a specific date, I think that's actually a really important responsibility is kind of keeping people um, yeah, motivated. Um, and in the past when I've had, like certain aspects of this i think one thing that's important is kind of focusing on that phase two and the fast follower and making sure people can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel to a certain extent and um and kind of talking to the benefits of uh, certain aspects of the platform and some of that new functionality and then maybe talking a bit more about kind of longer term um benefits as well and kind of also um making sure that you're giving rationale behind uh, move into the MVP and kind of de-scoping things, but generally kind of trying to keep a positive outlook um, to individual stakeholders that's relevant to them specifically. Yeah, I think that the communication is a critical thing. The, the few bits that I've seen that I, I know work and I've latterly taken on more kind of like project lead roles with yeah. clients to help them in their internal comms. And number one is project kickoff internal meeting before you do the kickoff stuff with your external agencies is talk people through what, MVP is or whatever you're going to call it explain to them that that all of the requirements that they've inputted to through discovery aren't going to be lost sight of so all their hard work is is really important but that to hit the deadline and hit the budget you can't not everything can be done and these are the criteria you're going to use and that there is a sponsor whoever that is whether it's the director owner and they will be the arbiter of of, of what makes it in um because you have to have a escalation process for somebody to decide and just be very transparent. I think transparency sets realistic expectations. And then the second bit is as you go through the project and you've experienced this, and I think you referenced it before Paul was things do change. Things come up that are unexpected. Suddenly a, um, you know, a, a, a P an integration is going to be more complicated than was um, initially envisioned. Get this around sometimes around product um, uh, setup and product catalog management that might have a knock-on impact on other parts of the project where you might suddenly have to de-scope a few things. 
So you have to be ruthless about staying in touch with people and it's communicating as soon as there is a change, what it is, why it is, what the impact is and how you'll manage it so that they don't end up when they get into UAT going, well, hang on a minute, where's this feature that you said was going? Oh, no, sorry, we decided three weeks ago it couldn't make it in. There's nothing more irritating and uh, demotivating as a, uh, a stakeholder or subject matter expert to, to not have been um, consulted along the way. So I think if you yeah. maintain good communication, yes, you get disappointment, but then at least you've got a greater chance that people understand it and buy into that process. Yeah, I think they're all really good points and you've clearly got some good experience in that area. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, some really important bits in there. Yeah, I've got a good experience of disappointing people, mate. <laughs> I definitely have experience of that as well. It's <laughs> uh, so the reality of these projects. They're not perfect and yeah. sometimes you have to you have to take things out that ideally you want to get in. But um, uh, Something you mentioned earlier I think would be really useful to clarify for people is you talked about fast follow-up and phasing quite a bit which is really important and uh, concepts as well what are your advice on how do people who are taking a fast follow approach how do they ensure that they don't lose track of their backlog items or how do they know which ones they should focus on first yeah i think this is a really interesting one because i think it's quite hard to get right and you need to kind of almost enforce it because i think it's very easy to commit to doing a fast follower which is essentially um a scope of work directly after launch um, for some of those kind of non-critical things. Um, and I think it's really easy to kind of commit to doing that. And then you end up with a load of bugs when you go live and then the fast follower ends up being a phase two essentially. Um, so I think it's really important to get your development agency or your development team to commit to that as well. Um, and I've even in the past had projects that have, that have been an MVP from the start and a fast follower has been in the scope of work and um, has been part of the contract. Uh, so the timing of the fast follower. So I think um, in an ideal world, you might even have separate developers working on that fast follower piece to kind of guarantee it. Um, but I think in terms of kind of pushing functionality uh, beyond launch, one way of kind of keeping people motivated and making sure that um, you end up delivering it would be to do kind of a fast follower, which might be like a sprint or a series of sprints directly after launch where those pieces of functionality are delivered and that would probably be happening alongside bug fixing um, and kind of any support activity um, but yeah I think this is that's kind of an important part of doing an MVP if it is an MVP and there is functionality that you want to launch directly after launch I think that's something that's important to plan as soon as you kind of get to that point. Yeah, I, I like that point actually about um, you know maybe even having different development teams because one of the problems is often you launch and then you just go into like manic uh, bug yeah. fixing, stable. I guess in, in things like SaaS platforms, you're not in stabilization mode anymore, but yeah. there's always bugs. It doesn't matter how well um, prepared and built a site is when you go from um, pre-prod to, to live, there's always yeah. things that you need Absolutely. to see out. So that's quite nice actually looking at whether you have a separate team who does the fast follow releases versus those who are just fixing issues. Um, cool. So that has, um, that's answered all the questions I had around um, uh, MVP and the things that I wanted to, to share with the audience. So is there anything else, any parting uh, pearls of wisdom you'd like to impart on our audience? I don't think so. I think there's, um, there's been some really good topics discussed there. Um, yeah, really good episode. Um, yeah, I think that's covered a lot, to be honest. I can't really think of anything else to add. 
Cool. Well, so thank you everybody for listening. I hope that's been insightful, giving you some tips and practical examples of what MVB is, how it's relevant and some of the things you should be thinking about. If you've got any questions, as always, feel free to reach out to myself or Paul via social um, and do keep your ears peeled for the next episode um, and enjoy the rest of your day.